Got Hello, it, everybody, it. and welcome to Weed We Read the Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Hallard, and I'm here with Glowworm and Willard. And tonight we're going to be reviewing There There by Tommy Orange. Hello, everybody. Hi. So to start off our discussion, I would like to talk about the symbols within the novel because I found them to be really influential to um, major themes within the story. Um, to start, I would like to talk about spiders and how they functioned within the story. For those who have not read the book, various characters, for instance, um, a 14-year-old boy, boy named Orville and his great aunt um, slash parent, um, Opal, are found with um, spiders in these wounds, like on their legs and on their bodies. And at first hand, these seem like completely irrational and very confusing. However, um, in the context of the story, it's actually really interesting because it sort of symbolizes, to me at least, a sort of generational trauma. And it sort of is, I think, a way of saying like, right, because spiders are seen as a negative. It's like these negative um, parts um, of people are, uh, of the native community, such as like alcoholism, um, drugs, violence, etc., these things that we see sometimes within these cultures stems from a generational universal trauma that they all share um, from, you know, of course, um, them losing their land and their culture, etc. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the major points of the novel is the fact that a lot of these characters, well, no, all of these characters are tied down to their generational trauma. And that is what fuels them throughout the story. Yeah. I think the the spider symbols also it kind of leads into the symbol of the powwow um, and for anyone who didn't read it, a powwow is a Native American gathering that is used to separate um, heritage identity kind of their culture as people there's dances uh, things of that sort and this kind of is very symbolic of um, a cycle and how history repeats itself like generational trauma yeah no i think the powwow is really interesting and kind of it's obviously it's not um it's obviously a, of course a very important part of the book right that's what ties yeah. it all together tying in with the spiders and the um symbolism of generational trauma it kind of ties in with the powwow and how it's supposed to be like this event where the, all the characters are um they're trying to connect and escape all the generational trauma that they've all yeah, them and their ancestors have experienced at like a unifying gathering but instead they just kind of re-experience that trauma over and over again kind of showing that it's like because of the shooting and the you know traumatic events that take place at it it just it's a pattern it just shows that it's all the generational trauma is a pattern that you know they're trying their best to escape it but it just seems to keep repeating itself over and over again right it's like it's really unfortunate because I guess I like the powwow as a symbol because I think as a whole we kind of just see it as like this big traumatic event within the story, which of course it is, right? Of course. Yeah. But I think the reason, I mean, I think the powwow as itself, I mean, it's the essence of the story. It is like, I think it's like the, the word, the story, it's like the, right, it's, you're yeah, exactly, it's the heart of the story. It's what what Tommy Orange is trying to argue, I believe, which is the fact that 
generational trauma to some degree is inescapable. Um, I know there is this one part, I can't remember, um, Jackie, a character, she's at like a, a meeting, like an AA meeting for alcohol. And, um, this man comes up and he's talking about, um, suicide, which is part of the generational trauma they experience. And he talks about like how it's like a fundamental part of his day-to-day life. Like he says, like, I know so many people have committed suicide. My my kid brother committed suicide. I want to commit suicide. And it's just a part of my life. And I, it's inescapable. Very, um, like, normalized in and sense. like he says, it's normalized. And like, there's not, because of a lack of, um, he mentions like a lack of funding and things like that, like lack of resources, it's going to keep continuing. And that's sort of what the powwow, it, like, right, that's exactly what the powwow is showing. Because a lot of these characters, the ones who commit the the shooting, whose names, of course, are now escaping me. um, It's, uh, looking through, it's, like, Octavo, etc., right? Um, All these characters associated with this violence obviously are not getting the resources they need. And because of that, they continue the cycle. And because Native Americans are underrepresented in our culture, of course, as we see the time it that's just going to keep happening and that's exactly what the powwow is yeah it um has to like with the repetition of the um like the trauma and traumatic events and everything it has to do with like the neglect of i guess facing the problem in a sense and like um the like refusal to yeah accept it and like deal with it in a sense Right. Also, on the same note of generational trauma, I'm just going to quickly go into, like, how that works as, like, a theme in the story. Um, I just really quickly wanted to talk about um, two characters, um, particularly Orville and his siblings, as well as Tony. Tony, that's right. Sorry, there's so many characters, it's hard to keep up sometimes. Okay, and Tony. I think they perfectly also, as characters, symbolize this generational trauma. You have Tony, who has fetal alcohol syndrome, and then you have Orville and his siblings, who are who were born as heroin babies. Um, of course, fetal alcohol syndrome is when um, your the mother drinks alcohol while pregnant, and alcoholism is a major, major problem within the Native American community, um, and that's because it's used. And also, this is mentioned in the book, they say they use it not because so much they love it, but because it's cheap, right? They can afford, it's like, it's a numbing, it's a way to numb their daily lives that they can afford. They can't actually reach out and get help because they don't have the money to. The alcohol serves that function. It's like the easy, but Because the alcohol route. serves that function, right? Exactly. It's the easy way out. And, well, uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to make it sound, say it like that. But it is, it's like the most affordable option for them to well, I think numb. Besides that, it's also that they don't get the funding they need, like, in their areas. In their, it's right. The, it's very, very poor areas. Government in the cities, they don't want to do anything about it. They just kind of let them to their own devices, obviously. And they may put, like, one single, like, clinic that doesn't have the best workers or therapists and I think that also is like 
they feel as if no one else cares about them. So that's right. why they think it's something that numbs them. So they don't have to think about, like, the world is against them. Right. You see, and, but, and, then, and that's absolutely true, right? But what's even more upsetting, I guess, is the fact that Tony is built with that inherently in him. Um, there's a quote. He says, Drome, which is what he calls like the fetal alcohol syndrome, essentially. He says, the drome is my mom and why she drank. And the, this is the most important part. It's the way history lands on a face. That is the most direct way of essentially saying that due to the history that my people have gone through, I look like this. Every time he would look in the mirror, he he's just always going to have the same thing we're playing in his mind, and he won't have anywhere to grow and even if he would have gotten help or would have grown he would still have that with him as like a reminder like okay well this is what it is exactly um what are some other themes that we notice in the story well i feel like with us talking about tony and all the other characters um as well as the powwow i feel like it brings in the theme of uh, cultural identity versus the personal identity. They, it, their cultural identity doesn't seem to connect to their personal ones. So it's like they don't feel connected to the culture. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, they try and act in their stereotype. They try and act as the, the labeled stereotype they have. And then they fall into the, the trap of the generational trauma. Like, for example, Orville, when he's wearing, um, like, his cultural clothing, he, and I quote, a fake, a copy, a boy playing dress-up. He obviously thinks that he isn't part of this, like, culture, this heritage, like, he isn't Native American. Um, which you can see that by them saying Indian a lot. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see kind of their disrespect to their own heritage in a way. And I feel like that plays a big role into the cultural cultural identity versus their personal identity. They can't, they just always have the need to like, well, to be this, to be Native American or Indian, as they said, I have to go through what everyone else in their families have to go through, which is not a very bright place right no i think that's a really good point um yeah like another quote i can i have here is like the only way to be an indian in this world is to look and act like an indian and i feel like that is like what perfectly summarizes the the dilemma these people go through another thing is that this is about the urban native force right because when you Mm -hmm. if you're looking at stereotypes of course you think of in reservations and all these different things right but yeah you know and what tommy says in the prologue is the fact that you know a lot of us live in cities and towns just like you do Mm -hmm. right it's like it's the fact that like there's this complete disconnect between what who natives really are and like how people anticipate or expect them to be right Right, how they're interpreted through culture, um, which is essentially what the prologue is about. Um, yeah. I don't know if anyone wants to get into that. So in the prologue, 
Um, he talks a lot about, like, stuff to do with the identity, like, um, personal and cultural identity and, like, a disconnect and stuff. And, um, having to do with, like, cultural, um, appropriation, erasure, and, like, just overall dehumanization. Okay. So, and, um, so with this kind of, like, the concept of the whole, like, you know, tying in with the prologue and then also the theme of, like, personal and, um, cultural identity and the disconnector between the two there's mm-hmm. um the book and uh it's also a movie now i guess uh one flew over the cuckoo cu- cuckoo's nest goodness Cuckoo's nest. um uh-huh. there's like a character who serves no purpose other than really just being like a a character lacking depth just to represent like being a native american or indian and that kind of um that kind of uh, theme is very common, I guess. You could see, you can see it in like things um, as like general as just sports. Like with um, there's a lot of mascots and stuff. Like um, the Chiefs, for example. Um, there's like hockey teams and stuff where their entire mascot is just. Then there there's a hockey team. They don't they aren't called this anymore, but they were called just like the Indians and everything. And so it just shows that you know it. It also has to do with that, the whole, which uh, we've been talking about a lot, the, just, like, a pattern, and, like, breaking that pattern, how it, you know, hasn't been broken, how it's just a repetition of um, Native Americans just being viewed as that, like, a mascot, like, not people, in a sense, or, like, a group of people, just, like, there's no depth, it's just, they see them as just an Indian, or whatever, which, yeah. Right. They're dehumanized. Yeah, dehumanization. It's spoken about a lot uh, in the prologue. Right. Um, Yeah. No, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. um, I thought the prologue... Prologue was probably one of my favorite parts of the book um, because I think what it does is it's... uh, I don't know. For me, I didn't super love the fact this is a little hot take, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't super love the whole switching between 12 perspectives. And I recognize its importance to the novel, right? Because this is about a group of people. This is about the collective. And I recognize that. And I, so I'm not anti that. I thought it was really confusing to read at times, but I recognize its importance to the novel and I respect it. Um, but I thought the prologue perfectly, like, ties all of it together like the plot in itself ties itself together right but something about to me the prologue really just like when i first read it i was like i had an idea of where this was gonna go like i i knew it was perfect oh it was done in a way that perfectly set up my mentality for what this book was gonna be um there's a quote um where it says Nothing is original. Everything comes from something that came before, which was once nothing. Everything is new and doomed. And to me, that is like, again, uh, not to bring up generational trauma again. That's like the buzzword. But it's like just this idea that like the cycle and just like that's what this story is about more than anything, at least to, you know, my understanding anyway. Does anyone want to talk about history? (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's really interesting um, that it was set in Oakland, California, where the author is from. Um, And I think that's really interesting because it was one of the first cities to actually give land back to natives. 
which would mean that there's a big presence of them and there's a lot of history and culture there because it was given to them so long ago. And I think that has a lot of significance to the story, um, you know, and it ties into the powwow and things like that and having identity. And um, I think it's also really interesting how um, the author not only decided to make it where he was, he originated from, originated from, but I think it's also interesting that he decided to make it in present day. Yeah, no, I didn't know that about the whole reparations thing. I think that's actually really interesting and kind of, I just never knew that. Um, but yeah, I think it being in the present day is really influential on the story because what it does is it takes away from the idea of what it is, like the stereotypical native. When you write about the history, right, it kind of fuels that idea we have, uh, you know, like the stereotype that's yeah, present. Um, of what it means to be a native, right? But now it's like, okay, we're past that now. We're going to look at now, and we're going to see what these people are doing now because that's what that's what matters right now. Um, not to say that the history is not important. It's extremely important. Yeah. It's actually, I mean, of course, it's what has led up to now. I mean, you have Manifest Destiny, you have Trail of Tears and Andrew Jackson's presidency. I mean, there's so many different instances where the Native Americans get completely effed over. I can yeah. I can make a whole podcast just talking about that. But I what I like about this story is that it it, it doesn't necessarily look at those things um, specifically. It does inherently, but it doesn't specifically. Instead, it looks at them in the now. And I guess that that makes it as uh, for us as readers so much more personal and relatable because it's like like i a lot of characters listen to music i listen to you know um there's a character who listens to mf doom and radiohead and like to me i'm like oh he's just like me <laughs> Which, yeah. I, that's maybe something i don't want to confess on a podcast but <laughs> it's true it i think it kind of shows the urban like Native American kind of because we don't really get to see that perspective a lot right. and seeing that and also the the emotional side of it because when we hear about history of Native Americans we just hear their land getting taken away and you know the Trail of Tears things like that but we don't really get to see or hear about their feelings and what they went through themselves we always hear it from the other side not their right. side their side is always like we're always saying, oh, let's bring in Portons, but we never talk about it. Kind of, we don't let them talk. We talk for them. Kind of, mm -hmm. like, kind of ironic saying that. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm coming to you with a sponsored ad for my good friend group called There's Two Sides featuring... Michael. <laughs> um, it's really good. So you should listen to it. Yeah, they paid me a lot of money to say that. So you should listen to them. Thank you very much for our sponsors once again. It's what keeps us going as a podcast and is what keeps us wanting to read and continue weed. We read the podcast. Keeps us weeding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
thank you guys again for joining us tonight, or this afternoon, or this morning, whenever you are watching us. This is Weed Reread the Podcast. I'm your host, Hallard, here with Willard and Glowworm. We will catch you guys again next time. Thank you.